This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. But it's really starting to rub off on me. And I just make a bracha on my coffee. Baruch. I really wanted water, but I didn't see any. So, I'm, Oh, there is water. Uh, okay. So anyway, I already poured it. So let's, let's see how it tastes. Baruch atah adonai elohinu melech ha'olam shahakun I'm with my holy wife, so I'm thinking maybe she, she might have a caveat or two. She's a, a speaker. I don't know if you brought into your book. She's an author. She, she just actually wrote a book on, um, she just wrote a book on all the Jewish holidays, but the, to really get the Masora, that women to women, you know, there's never, it's wild, but there's never been a book written by women on the Jewish holidays for women. And all those books you see by the, all those books by the cash registers, you probably never thought about this. Yeah, cookbook. You probably never thought about this before, but you know every holiday the Jewish bookstores have uh, titles for the holiday? So if you might notice, it's always written by Rabbi so-and-so. So my wife's like, there's things that women would be sharing to women. And so she wrote an over 800-page book on all the Jewish holidays, which, of course, no one's going to buy. So she broke it up. She broke it up into paperbacks, holiday by holiday. Um, but this is going to take forever because we have eight kids, thank God. And uh, she's busy with being a mommy. And so she brought Hanukkah. She did bring, how much is Hanukkah? $13. $13 Hanukkah. And I hope maybe you'll stand, get up and give an example of something I shared today just so you can hear my wife speak. She spoke last night to these amazing, amazing um, older single girls who uh, were on a retreat. And we drove after the most intense whirlwind tour of Baltimore. Frank's like, do you mind just driving out an hour after Shabbos, where we had hundreds of people, um, just to speak to these girls? And I was like, you know, you know, trying to be a tzaddik, but, you know. And Frank gets this look on his face with such care for these girls who have not gotten married. Amazing. And there was no saying no to the look on Frank's face when he, the care he has for them. And it was amazing. It was like it, it was like he was the father of every single one of those girls, and and so of course the answer was yes. And my wife joined me, and she got up and spoke to them, and it, it was amazing. Um, I just, if you don't mind, I, if I could ask people whose seats aren't facing this way, I'm literally like I'm gonna have to go to a chiropractor just watching you do this <laughs> the whole time. So it's so uncomfortable. So if you can just like turn your chairs or something. A little bit, so you're just angle your chairs a bit, so you're not spending the entire time in an uncomfortable position. Because I know most classes usually are like you know twenty minutes, half hour, or hour. Mine are much longer. And just kidding. I know no one really likes a really long speech. I just happen to like giving them. Just kidding. Okay, now what we're going to do today, uh, unless you would like to do something else. Is there something you actually want me to do? Because I had something prepared, but, uh, I mean, what I have to prepare it is nothing compared to what you may want to hear. So is there something you want to hear specifically? What do you have prepared? Tell us. <laughs> no, I'm just, if, I, if we're doing what I prepared, I'm just launching it. I'm going straight into it. Launch. Launch Okay. Um, the what I'd like to share with you today is the is the how to become masters of free will. 
how to gain mastery over free will. This is not a philosophical class about do we have free will and how do we know, you know, that that free will is, you know, versus God knowing everything, free will. Today we're going to be talking about mastering free will. Ladies in the back, is that bothering you, the speaking behind your ears? No? If you if it is there's a spot I think you're like because of this you can sit next to my wife and get the full uh, sound okay um, so here we go we're talking about mastering free will and what we're going to do is master um, five we're not going to master but we're going to learn five steps it will be up to you to master these steps but we're going to learn five steps and we're going to memorize them because I'd like all of you to teach this class I want this class to duplicate itself. So I would like everyone in this room to take on to teach two people this class. So that this group, which is about, you know, I don't know, about uh, maybe eight at a table plus a little. So, so eight, 16, 24. We're about 25 people in here. That this class, if each of you teach it to two people. So we're already at uh, 75 people today will have heard this class. So who's willing? It's very, I'm going to give it so simple that you're all going to be able to teach it. You're, there will be no challenge. Okay? The only thing that you'll have is more people gaining from it, and that's it. So uh, can I just get a showing of hands who's willing to teach this to two people or I'm leaving? <laughs> two people. You'll hear it. It's going to be very simple. Paper and pens. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. I don't know if they'll have them. That's a lot of paper and pens. If you have a smartphone, that's perfect. You're just writing down five points. So. And uh, you didn't raise your hand. Uh, would you be t- willing to teach this to two people? Thank you. And I know people in Baltimore, when they say they'll do it, they actually do it. So. You're like the last city on earth with integrity. I love this place. This place is like, it's, yeah, it's like 20 years back. When people used to like say things and do them, you know, people actually like they say they're going to do it. They do it. You know, they, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like I thought Passaic, Passaic, New Jersey was was perfect for like a Jewish community. But Baltimore knocks them out, too. You know, it's really it's really special. OK, here we go. So you're going to list the numbers one through five. Uh, leave a little extra room by number um, by number uh, by number two. Just leave an extra room because there's going to be an A B by number two. Thank you so much, Frank. Okay, here we go. Uh, again, you're listing one through five, but number two should have a room for an A, B. Although, you, if you didn't make room, you can put the A, B on the right next to it. Okay, here we go. So, the, um, so we might as well uh, write out the first word, and the first word is constant. That's all you got to remember, constant. Everyone say constant, please. Constant. Excellent. I said constant, please. Just kidding. Um, Everyone say constant. Okay. We said constant. And we're talking about mastering free will. And the beginning of mastering free will 
is to know that every second is a chance for choice. Every second is a chance for choice. So, for example, I was davening this morning. I had my tefillin on the talis, and I was just kind of in autopilot. And and then I realized, wait, this is a chance for me to choose to connect. And then I stopped myself and jumped into my mastery of free will to really connect in that moment. Like, you can just have, and you can do that anytime. Like, right now, in our family, we have this, uh, <laughs> we do this together as we just go, let's experience the moment. And everyone, everyone goes like this and screams. We all go like, ah! It's for, it's for fun, but, we, but you really experience it. So let's try that right now. Everybody, we're not going to scream and you don't have to do this, you know, but, but let's all just take a moment and just stop, like the, stop that part of your brain that's saying like, here we are at the class with Rabbi Glazer with that long resume. Stop that. Look around a bit at the women around you. Like we're really here and this is, you see what just happened? You just shifted into free will. As opposed to just going into that autopilot class wit, class wit. But you're now, you're here in a different way, and that was just using that mastery. And that's something you can develop. It's a muscle. You can literally get to the point. I'm, I thank God I've gotten there, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, pr- I'm practicing what I preach. But you can go from, from not being able to do that, and then once in a while you can do it, once in a while, once in a while, to, doing it all the time and once in a while you fall out like today in Davening I fell out and so I got back in you can literally sh- reverse it to being like in that constant choice to be present now you can uh, there's all kinds of ways to pra- practice this like for example um, raise your hand if you come to this program every Sunday nobody uh, how often is this program run? Sunday to Thursday this is every day? Raise your hand if you come to this once a year. Okay. And you chose to come here, which is great. And But did you know I was teaching today? Yes. Okay. And I'm not going to use that example. Ah, I got one. Raise your hand if you chose to be in Baltimore today. <laughs> okay, because you came from somewhere else? No. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, if you woke up here, you probably didn't choose it. Okay, I'd like everyone to, I'd like everyone to make a choice to be in Baltimore. Now, that's a little strange, because you're already here and you woke up here. But this is a big part of constantly choosing. Is It's so easy for us to get numb to what is. You live in Baltimore, but not because you're forced to. No one forced you to. You're choosing it. And you can actually take that choice and make that choice. And one of the reasons I compliment Baltimoreans on their, for example, the integrity, is that you take a moment to, like, get back in to the, to, wow, I, you know, I choose to be here. So, now, how many of you chose your spouses this morning? <laughs> <laughs> My wife did. <laughs> Good girl. <laughs> how many of us chose our spouses? No, because you've been married to them. It's like, you know, I mean, it's like... Uh, Ancient, ancient history. Choose it. It's a different marriage. It's a different marriage. So, a lot of that stuff is, uh, you know, we're not we're not really in it uh, because because it's old. And so, that's the beauty of being a master of free will is you can 
really be right in it. And one of the, and regarding Hashem, Hashem when is Hashem creating the world? <laughs> yeah. And is he creating it last year? No. Listen more carefully to my tense. I said, is he creating it last year? No, he did that. Is he creating it tomorrow? No. When is Hashem creating creation? Right here, right now. And therefore, the ability that he gave us to constantly choose, using our free will to choose to be present, to our, that we are married to this person, that we are... And that these are our kids, and this is our house, and this is the city we choose to be in. What it does is it takes your life and plugs it in. Meaning our lives go from black and white to technicolor when we plug it in to the first one, which is called constant. Please, everyone, say the word constant. Excellent. Okay, one more time. Constant. Number two, please write the word reevaluation. Reevaluation is... is um, Oh, oh, please say the word reevaluation. And now say constant reevaluation. Okay, good. Now, I'm just making sure you all have it. I really want it memorized. That's why it's cute you're writing it, but we're going to be memorizing. Okay? So, number two is reevaluation. If you want to take notes, it's on things you might forget that you felt were a good way to illustrate it when you teach it later. Reevaluation means that. I mean, think about it. What kind of master of free will? Or how can you call yourself a master of free will if you're not reevaluating things? If you're going on the dictates of the past, so then you're, you're not really in reevaluation mode. Reevaluation is the check-in. doesn't mean you're going to change anything. I mean, it could be he's a medical doctor and he's very successful and he loves what he does, but he still has to look at it and say, is this what I want? Is this for me? Is this really what's working? And the answer is probably yes. But now he's reevaluated and plugged back in. Similar to constant, at least the way I explained constant, but it's very different. This is taking what is and reevaluating it. You may have to make a move, you may have to make a shift in that reevaluation. You know, when I ask secular crowds, if I ask them if they ever knew anyone who switched careers over the age of 50, everyone raises their hand. Everyone raised their hand. They know someone. They know a lot of people. They know someone who's done that. And then I say, keep your hands up if they had no regrets. And the same people have their hands up, that they had no regrets. Reevaluation, which can mean a change. It can mean you're going to change something, is the key to mastering free will. And how many people wind up stuck in old decisions just because of, please write A, these are the pitfalls. So you can write pitfalls, and A is momentum. Momentum. We have momentum in past decisions that prevent us from reevaluating. So A is momentum. These, there's going to be two pitfalls. One is momentum. And so we are going on past dictates. Like, for example, a university uh, student who's already chosen a major, but then in their last year realized what they really want. I mean, a majority of them stay in the major they don't want. When, if they had spoken to me, I would say it's worth another year in university to just start the major you do want. Uh, But it's so rare that they ever do that. They just shrug their shoulders and keep studying exactly what they don't want. And so reevaluation, the big first pitfall is the momentum of the past. 
And and so let's use it as an anchor that anyone who has switched careers midway, they never had any regrets over that. There's no regrets. And so the way to move is to move, meaning reevaluate. And if you need to make a move, make that move. Now, there's certain things we're never going to reevaluate. Certain things we're not going to change. For example, who we're married to. Meaning, even though you reevaluate, doesn't mean you're switching spouses. All it does is make you more excited. For example, my Rebbe, Reb Noach Weinberg, Zatzal, he used to write long lists of why he uh, was married to his his wife. Like long lists, like it got in the hundreds. And towards the end of his career on Earth, he had hundreds of reasons why why he was connected to his wife. And the reason he did this was for reevaluation. He would just constantly reevaluate how awesome she was for him. And so, and so this is what I mean, meaning there's certain things we're just committed to, so we're not going to be shifting that. We're not going to change that, but we can still reevaluate and put new life into it. Okay, so that was first. And momentum, and a good example of momentum is marriage because there's a lot of momentum. Um, the next one is the next pitfall is what we can call, um, what we can call, I always call it something else each time. Um, don't ask why. I, um, this would be, um, uh, what's the word? You guys help me with the word. Uh, what others think of us? P- opinion, public opinion? Perception. Others' perception of us? Uh, how people look at us. Uh, what's the word? There's a good word. Image. 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 Uh, yeah, but the image of others, of us. Uh-huh. What do you call that? Public image. No, but sometimes it, it's not public. It's usually the people that are closest with us that we're afraid of what they'll think. Um, okay, you know what? Um, let's just call it, we'll just call it looking good. Looking good. I mean, it doesn't look good to shift what we're doing. You see, people know, people know, you know who you are based on how others kind of give it to you. And the closer they are to you, the more they're giving to you who you are. But the problem is, you're giving them who they are too. And so there's a certain need for you never to change for others to be who they are. This is a very deep thing I'm saying. You mean with expectations of each other. Yeah, so let me say that again. You know who you are very much based on the people closest to you and what they give you of who you are. Much of who we are. Now, of course, the goal is to be self-generating. And I'm an actual <coughs> trainer. He mentioned, um, or Mrs. You. What's your name? Just what's your name? Oh, Andrea. Mrs. Shulman. Oh, you said Shulman. I thought you were telling me your name. Mrs. Shulman. Mrs. Shulman mentioned that I run these seminars. These seminars are actually to go from from being others-generated to being someone who's self-generated. But so much of who we are is generated from without. We leave the morning. We leave the house every morning in a kind of a gauntlet, a precarious, vulnerable gauntlet of will someone say something nice to me today and give me who I am. The drive to please. Yes, but but we have a, we really need to be self-generated. And when you're self-generated, you are so present and so loving that you really give to everyone else who they are because you're you're good. 
And it, it's really great to do that. And so I've been training people for 16 years. I've just hit about 5,000, well, we're over 5,000 graduates of this work. It's intense work. I mean, you're going to cry your eyes out and realize why you've been doing this, why you've been having others generate you. Is because deep down the way we generate is not so, not not what it should be. Meaning we're much more careful with our koshers than we are with how we feel about our own, this chicken. <laughs> we're much more careful with the chickens that we eat than the chicken that we are. I've never said that before. <laughs> Can I, you mind if I just say that one more time? <laughs> That's a crazy line. We're much more careful with the chickens that we eat than the chickens that we are. Meaning, meaning, imagine like some horrific chicken that like comes through the line, comes to the assembly line in a fact chicken factory slaughterhouse, and they look at this one and they're like, "I wouldn't serve that to like that thing is trained." You know, and one of them just says, "Yeah, throw it in." You know, can you imagine eating that? But we're, but we're saying these kinds of things to ourselves all day. You know, we're like poking holes in our lungs. Glot means there's no holes in the lungs. And we're like poking holes in our lungs all day long. So what happens is with reevaluation is we have been getting who we are from others. Others have been giving us who we are. Well, guess where they're getting who they are? From you. You give them who they are. So if you go reevaluate and make a shift, they don't know who they are anymore. And so there is a pressure for you not to make any moves so that everyone else can keep their identity, which is really bizarre, but it's so real. It's so real. We have no idea the power of us protecting other people's identity by us staying the same. And this is all going on unconsciously. I'm going to say that again. We have no idea the power that it has of others of us protecting other people's identities so by remaining who we are of who we are that we don't even really like or it's not really who we are or it's not really what we wanted and therefore we have stopped reevaluating we've stopped reevaluating which means we are now in a robot type of life of just following the dictates of who we've been even though we're not so inspired anymore and we feel kind of dead inside and once you feel dead inside because you're not living who you are, well, what good are you anyway for anyone in your life? Meaning, how are you supposed to generate anyone positively if you're feeling numb? So that's wonderful that everyone gets to be who they are, except the person you are may feel a little numb, or if not very numb, if not even dead. And then that's what we're generating for everybody. Rather, let's master being free will people and take number two. What's number two? Everyone say reevaluation, please. Reevaluate the whole thing. Just reevaluate it. And, and if it's necessary to make a shift, and there's plenty of shifting that I think everyone here could use, make that shift. And you watch what happens. Watch the magic. There's magic that will happen. Why? Now, at first, everyone's going to be like, what are you doing? You know, people will be like freaking out because they, they don't know who they are. Because once you shift who you are, several people will have a crisis. But what happens is after that crisis, they finally settle into the fact that they're still, they are still who they are, even though you shifted. But you're alive now. And now you get to be alive for them. 
And and so what happens, and this is what I'd like to say, is is I, I have a saying, I don't know how appropriate it is for this, but it's blood runs thicker than values. Blood runs thicker than values. Meaning, if you made a shift because you feel there's a value in something, you decided to shift your life. And you make that shift. And it freaks out your blood relatives, meaning the blood is the closest people, siblings, spouse, kids, parents. And they get, they, you know, they get a little like, insecure over it because they don't know who they are for a moment in the end half a year year two years everyone kind of realizes that you're so alive and that who they are is anyway who they are so they're gonna they'll, they'll get traction again and you become this magnetic figure in their lives you become this magnetic figure you're suddenly like the rabbit because you're so inspired and you're happy you're alive you're finally alive Okay, you're not playing the old game, but they'll get traction again. Everyone gets traction. That's, isn't that the number one biggest issue in personal growth, is that people don't change? So the fact that you rock the boat for all those people, don't worry. They're not going to change. They will go right back to who they were being, only now you're alive. So an illustration of this is a very powerful illustration, is that I was raised secular, but like totally secular, in a home that was totally secular. And... My move to becoming fully observant, I mean, I went straight from totally secular to totally Haredi, like, in like an hour. And the shift that had on my family was such an extreme shift that everyone had a crisis. And I have three brothers, two parents, so there were five people who, like, had major identity crisis right then because... If, if, my English name's Johnny, if Johnny's now Yom Tov, which is my Hebrew name, but if Johnny's now Yom Tov, so then who am I? And they fought. My father fought it. My older brother fought it. I mean, they really fought. So they said at Asia Torah, they'd never seen, they'd never seen such angry. It was faxism, though. Remember faxes? <laughs> That's all we had, you know. They'd never seen such angry facts. I mean, I had to show it to the rabbis. How do I respond? And they, why are they freaking out? It's not like they can argue this intellectually. They know nothing about, you know, a Yiddish guy. Normally, when you're angry at someone, you know both sides. In this case, they only know their side. They don't know my side. So what are they getting so uppity about? It's not like they can have an intellectual conversation about this. They know nothing about my side. The reason they're getting so upset is because they don't know who they are right now, so they're just going to come out swinging. Now, what kept me was not... Uh, Halavai, someone told me what I'm telling you right now. No one told me that. I, I'm teaching you this because I experienced that blood runs thicker than values. That even though I shifted my value system, they all came around about a year or two later. And the angry brother, who was like literally ready to kill me, he, uh, he became a Breslover chassid. <laughs> He became a Breslover chassid and has been teaching as a rabbi. Oh, he became a rabbi. <laughs> he went from like real estate mogul to to N New York University rabbi, and his meetings were in Starbucks, and it took three days to get into him. I mean, he, 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 I don't know. How, I don't know anyone in all my years, twenty-seven years in Israel, who sent me more Shomer Shabbos people that he. God observant, and that was the brother who fought me the most. Now, not everyone always comes around like that, but the main thing they do is they do resettle themselves after the whole thing, because blood runs 
thicker than values. So if you make a value shift in something about yourself or about your lifestyle or anything going on, they're going to come back to themselves and they'll realize you're so alive. Now, ladies, tell me, where are you a greater contribution in living a life inspired, but different than how it's going right now, or in, in guarding the status quo? Where are you more a contribution to the loved ones in your life? What's a greater expression of love? Living inspired but with a shift or guarding a status quo? Which one? Living inspired with a shift. Make those shifts. Make those shifts. You're a greater contribution. In the end, all you, the only reason you stayed the way you've been staying is because you felt that was the best contribution to your loved ones. But it's not. There's a greater. It is a contribution, but there's a greater contribution. And the greater contribution is to make that shift and to be an inspiration for everybody. Be that person who's on fire, just totally excited in life. And that happens through what? Reevaluation. Okay, everyone say constant reevaluation. Number three. Number three is battleground. Just write the word battleground. You can hyphenate it if you want. I don't know how, if it's one word. I missed that day. Okay, battleground. Now, um, battleground is, this one doesn't sound very pretty, and it ain't. The, uh, you're always in a battle between what's called the godly soul and the animal soul. Okay? You have a godly soul stretching towards God, and you have an animal soul, which is only really focused on two major things, which is survival and reproduction, which are fancy scientific ways of saying things that I'm not going to say. Okay? So there's... The animal soul, survival, reproduction, every plant, animal, and human being has a strong animal voice, and we also have a godly voice. Now, I don't think I have to explain this to a bunch of from ladies, <laughs> that we have something called the Yetzirah and the heart. but you got to see it as a battle that you're in. You're always in that battle. You ever get tired sometimes and <laughs> just say, like, I'm tired of battling? Yeah, what would happen if someone actually was on a real battlefield, like guns and, you know, and airplanes and bombs and trenches and and they said you know what i'm just tired of this i'm tired of this as far as i'm concerned we're no longer on a battlefield and you like i don't know you found some old lounge chair and like put it out in the middle and you're like you decide to do some sunbathing or something how are you going to survive not well you're dead so we're in a battleground so part of being in a mastery of free will is to always see yourself on that battleground we're always on it we're always on the battleground. Now, it's not fun, it's not pretty, it's not relaxed, it's real, but it is real. This is real. The second you forget you're on a battleground, what happens? The second you want to you kind of put up a white flag and say, like, enough of the battleground, what happens? You always lose. You always lose when you don't want to battle. And so we have to be vigilant. And that's number three, is battleground. And that's to always be vigilant to recognize we're on that battleground. I think the main people who don't want to know they're on a battleground are teenagers. You ever had a teenager? So teenagers really don't like the battleground issue. And they try to pretend, and you probably know what I'm talking about, they try to pretend they're not on a battleground. And then they lose immediately. It's an instant loss. It's the weirdest thing. Like the second you pretend you're not on a battleground, you start to lose. And so that's it. Number three is simple for us. We don't have to indel- we don't have to really dive in too deep on number three. So 
Um, let's practice these three words. Number one, constant. Everyone say constant. Reevaluation. Battleground. Again, constant. Reevaluation. Battleground. Very good. Now, um, number four, please write the word soul. Okay, you have an animal voice, you have a soul voice. And our goal is to be listening to the soul voice. But the animal voice isn't going to go down that easy. It's, uh, it's something that you've got to work with. You've got to work with the animal voice. You gotta, sometimes you've got to make deals. Sometimes you've got to throw the dog a bone. There's, there's different ways of dealing with the animal voice. But the point is, and again, this is, this is not a part of the, this is not a part of our class right now that we got to, you all know that we got to go for the soul voice. But, but number four, which is soul, is that we have to, um, we have to be good negotiators to make sure that we're always heading towards the soul, which may be, I mean, you'll notice our holiest day of the week is Shabbos. And that's really the holiest day of the year. You'll notice it trumps, sorry to use that word, it trumps, um, you know, Shofar, it trumps Megillah in Israel. We Sometimes it lands on Shabbos. Trumps Megillah. It, Shabbos trumps everything, really, except for Yom Kippur. Trumps Tisha B'Av. Shabbos trumps. And it's the most, it's the most important day of the entire year. It's once a week. Which is, that's, that shows you how spiritual we are. Next time you see some, you know, Indian with a dot on his forehead wearing a sheet, and you're thinking, whoa, that dude's spiritual. Realize that we celebrate our most spiritual day and the most important day that trumps major, major mitzvahs in the Torah. We celebrate it once a week. Once a week. I know we all build out Rosh Hashanah. No, it's Shabbos. Shabbos is the most important day. And it's every week. Now, notice we eat and drink. Often in excess. But we're literally throwing the dog a bone on Shabbos. And sadly, so many people get eaten by their food on Shabbos, as opposed to just um, distracting the body a bit. The reason why third meals, like a non-meal meal, you know, it's just salads and like maybe a little tuna fish or something, is because we're there already. And we've spent the last day there. So we don't... The body is convinced by third meal. The body's convinced already, and it's like, okay this is going to be a spiritual day and so we have third meal Shabbos is our most I'm sorry um, we see we eat on our holy days and it's just like letting the body know this is what's up I'm not going to go into graphic details about, uh, about more intimate topics but the, uh, but, the, but the whole thing is really based on, on giving a little to the animal and then to be the most spiritual. And that includes, obviously, bris milah. And it's very interesting that bris milah trumps Shabbos, which is something that we could think about, not for now, I don't want to go into why that is, that the holiest day that trumps everything is trumped by bris milah. But uh, let's suffice it to say that there, we're in a battle, and, um, and to get to the soul, we have to, we have to somehow give a little to the body. I'll tell you, for example, a Kabbalistic thing that you probably don't know is that washing my machronim, my machronim, which, of course, most women don't do, and that's fine, you don't have to do it. But just so you know something about it, is that washing my machronim, why do we do it? Now, of course, it says because of the salt. 
<laughs> that they used to use in the Dead Sea, you know, the Melech Sdoimis, it's called, could blind a person. Have any of you ever had any issues with, uh, you know, at the end of a meal with the Melech Sdoimis on your fingertips? Has that ever happened to you? So, the reason why we wash is because the... I'm just going to teach you one 30-second Kabbalistic thing, is that the... the dark side is called the extremities. And it makes sense. Why? If this was the only light on in the room, and let's call this the orange sofa of Hashem, so then the furthest edge of the room, the extremity of the room, would be the darkest spot in the room, right? So the further you go from the light, the darker it gets. That's called Tuma, or the dark side. Sitra Achra. It's called the Sitra Achra, the other side of the light. It's over there. It's the other side. That's why it's called that. Now, because benching is the holiest thing in the world, Benching super holy. Holier than all our davening is benching. It's weird, but it's the holiest thing. That's why you might notice you have this Yetzirah not to wash. It's, it's because it's... it's it, no, our neshama feels bad that we keep ignoring the, pros, the benching. And the neshama's like, yeah, I don't... It's not even your Yetzirah, it's your Yetzirah doesn't want to wash. Because it doesn't want another mind-numbing, you know, three minutes of missing benching while saying it. We're, it's your holy side that doesn't want to wash because there's something inside you realizes how special it is. Now, I wouldn't know how special it is if I wasn't studying with a great Makubal, the sitter. And I was sure he was going to skip benching. I was sure that he'll skip benching just like so many of us skip washing. <laughs> he'll skip benching. We get to benching, he's like, meaning we finished all of Shachris. It took us a year and a half, two years to finish Shachris. We get to benching, and I'm like, sure, he's going to skip that and go to Mincha. No, he opens it up to benching. Birkat Hamazon. He's like sitting there with his long beard and his pace and his eyes go like this. And, and, and he's like, Birkat Hamazon. And so we're like, the whole class, we're like dedicated students. We're like, we just finished a year and a half of Shachis and now we're doing Birkat Hamazon. Guess what? Three years later, we were still doing it. And it's not like we shifted something. We're using the same before shim. Three years of benching. We were blown away by what was in there. Blown away. And he kept saying to us, don't forget this, as you see, this is bigger than davening. This is the biggest thing you're going to be doing in your life, is beer cut on his own. <laughs> One of the parts was, at the very beginning, was why we wash my machroinim. Tell me, what's the extremity of your body? The fingertips. The extremities, the sitra achra doesn't want us to bench. It doesn't want benching and it's going to mess it up. And so we do this little symbolic gift. Oh, let us give you something. Let's throw the dog a bone. You want something? We're going to make a mitzvah of washing our fingertips. Like a little, like Sephardim say, they always say that before they wash. Did you know that? Sephardim say that? I was just eating with some Syrians in Israel. We got to my machonim. Each of the men said, my machonim, chova. It's a responsibility. And probably because they had mekubalim that said, make it a chov. Mention the chov. Give the dark side a chance to feel like it's important. And you give it a little so that you can bench. And this is the tactic of getting to soul, is to give that, give the body a little something. And because we can give the body a little something, we are the most spiritual people on earth. Those people who divorce the body 
in the East. Yeah, they, everyone thinks they're the most spiritual people. They can't touch you. They have no, they can't get near who you are. They can't get anywhere near who you are. Yeah, yeah it's very easy to be spiritual when you're on a mountaintop meditating all day and celibate and fasting. Let's see those guys be spiritual, married, dealing with, you know what, what, a, you know what an iceberg commandment is? You know what an iceberg commandment is where you only see the tip? <laughs> it's pru-uvru, pru-uvru, iceberg commandment. You only see the tip and it's, you know, be fruitful and multiply. And it looks like a nice commandment. Why not? Except what? If you actually keep that commandment, you're going to have the most intensely difficult life ever. And while at the same time living Judaism, you are for sure the most spiritual person. It's no brainer to be on a mountaintop and be spiritual. Let's see you be spiritual by creating a Jewish home based on Torah and mitzvahs and tefillah. Dedication to Torah and mitzvahs. While being fully engaged in Parnassa, because you're going to have to feed those kids, and fully engaged in, in diapering and, and feeding and, and schooling and, and, and private schooling. and Whoa! Iceberg. Of all the commandments, it's the number one biggest iceberg. Proving how we are the most spiritual people on earth. You may not feel spiritual all the time, but... I, I mean, I get to meet everybody in my career, so they, they definitely... I've, I've been with people who are hardcore, heavy-duty spiritual lights, and they look at me like, whoa, and all it takes is me showing a picture of my wife and eight kids. And they're always single, these spiritual people. They're always single and, you know, and kind of, like, supported by the monastery. And it's like, joke. It's such a joke. I remember once I was mountain biking in Beit Shemesh, and there's a monastery out there. And I came up, I like made a turn, and I came upon like these nuns who, like, you couldn't, they were the picture of peace. They were out in this meadow, the picture of peace. I went a little further, I found the monks. They were, they were playing soccer. But they were like, there was no wrinkles on them, on the, you know, they, they were like, there was zero stress. And for a single moment, and God, I just felt like, God, forgive me for that moment. I was like, gee, how did I win this Jewish lottery? How did I win the Jewish lottery? I mean, this is like... And then I like said, God, forgive me for saying that. Forgive me for even feeling that way. For even a moment. Spirituality is fighting the battle. They're not fighting any battles. This is not a battleground. We're fighting the battle. And so, number four is soul, but what it really is, if you want to write next to it, is, is uh, a full engagement with the physical world, with the material, full engagement with the physical world in order to engage in spirituality. Um, I'll just add one last detail, and that's the 365 negative commandments. The reason we're not allowed to do those things is because it's, it would be too big a challenge. Meaning those things are, those things are like, they're like lead boots, you know? You know, like they throw someone in the lake with lead boots, the mafia will like put them in lead boots and throw them. 
their leg, you know, so they sink and die, like the mafia knocking someone off. The negative commandments are lead boots. They're just not, we're not going to be able to make it with those. There's other levels of Gashmian, it's called, that's called Asur, it means bound up, meaning it's just going to lock you in. There's other levels that are called Mutar, which means unreast, un, uh, which means unbound, released. Every day we say Matir Asurim, he releases the bound. So Asur is bound, that stuff, lead boots. Mutar, like this buffet, it's released, you can actually raise it up which is what we're here to do. We're here to raise it up, and that's the soul. Number five, our final one, is God, G-D, or you can write Hashem, whatever you want to write. But I'd prefer you write God because it's one syllable for the memorization. Um, and that's just the way I memorized it. But uh, it's uh, God, and that is that, and this will be you know, a little fun, is... You ever heard the sentence in the Torah that says "Einod Milvado"? Yes. Einod mm-hmm. Milvado. So, if Einod Milvado, where are we right now? If Einod Milvado, if there's nothing but God, where are we right now? Next to God. There is nothing but God. Ain. There's nothing. Oh, other than Milvado. Him. There's nothing but Him. So, where are we right? Are we in Baltimore? Mm, that's starting to get a little iffy. <laughs> what's the name of this? Re- milk and honey? That's what it's called? Mm-hmm. Milk and honey. Are we in milk and honey right now? Mostly. <laughs> Seems to be. So this is where this class goes like sci-fi. You know, this is when the class starts getting weird. But your whole life can do this all the time is that I know you're always somewhere, but you're not really. You're always really, ultimately, in the mind of God. He's creating this world with Chochman, Bin, and Das, but the world never leaves Chochman, Bin, and Das. You can't see it right now, because what you see right now is the outer crust of what are called the Oilamos, which is all him also. And we're in the outer crust, so we can't even see that. Meaning everything in the Oilamos can see Hashem, it's all Malachim, they see Hashem. And then they're told something. Like, for example, they might be told orange. And then it's like, boom. So that, that malach's going, orange. And then it looks up, Hashem. But it gets slapped by, by the malach above him. Orange. Well, the reason I'm saying orange is because there's an orange juice on your tables. So it just keeps orange. So it's like, orange. Hashem. Bam. Orange. And that's what's going on. They see Hashem. We don't. We're on the outer, we're on the outer crust. We're looking at the crust of a loaf. They're inside the loaf, we're outside the loaf. But really, this also is made of Hashem. The whole thing's made of Hashem. And so, to be a true master of free will is to, to be a true master of free will is to realize that we're all really ultimately inside the mind of God. So I'm married. It, by the way, that the God inside the creation is called Elokus. You know that term, Elokus. We say it every brother. Baruch Atah Shem, God's outside space and time. Elokeinu means Elokim Shalom. Elokeinu is Elokus. That's how Hashem is within everything. So He's not just outside; He's also inside. 
right? Like a burrito, he's not just a tortilla. He has the rice and the beans. He's inside. So then you start to realize you're married to that person. Your kids are, I meaning you're married to Hashem, meaning the Elokus. This is, this is Elokus in the form of my wife, Leah. The uh, experience of the food is Elokus. You're like, you're like eating Hashem. Now, it's not the infinite being, Hashem. It's how, how he has squelched himself into, like veiled himself until it wove through the 231 gates, the Aleph, Ben, Aleph, Dalet, Aleph, Hey. It's an algorithm. It's called the Rala. Resh, Lamed, Aleph. Rala is the 231. Resh is 200. Lamed is 30. Aleph is one. It's called the Rala. This whole world's made of the Rala, the 231 intercalculations of the Aleph, Ben, which moved its way down, wove its way into this world. But it's all made of Elokus. The whole thing's made of Elokus. And so you can at any point just give a snap and be in the Elokus. So everyone get two fingers ready. Get two fingers. We're going to snap together. Ready? And what we're, we're going to do is we're going to snap and inhale. And then release. Okay? And you're just going to use your f- mastery of free will to experience Hashem right here in the milk and honey in Baltimore in your physical body. Okay? Ready? Everyone get ready. Two snaps. Let's practice first a snap. Just get your snappers going. If you're not good at snapping, it's okay. You can do like this. Just do like... Okay? Here we go. Get your snappers ready. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, take a breath. You can close your eyes. Mine are closed for a second. Always good in spirituality. Close your eyes a moment. Okay? Open your eyes. Okay, we'll do it one more with eyes closed, and then we're going to open our eyes in the space, okay? We're going to give a snap on three and inhale. One, two, three. Inhale, eyes closed. Exhale. Realize you are in the mind of God. Now, open eyes. Yeah, there's a restaurant, there's people, there's... It's Baltimore, it's milk and honey. But it's all, it's all elokus. Everything's made of elokus. Enod milvada, there's nothing but Hashem. Think about the words. Where does the word enod milvada come from? Ataharesaladas. Another way of saying you were born to know, meaning the purpose, the tachlis. You were born. Art schools say you were shown to know. But you know, like Hayom Haras Alam, like birth. Ataharesaladas, you were born to know. Ki, what, that, Hashem, that which surrounds space and time. Hu ha'elokim. He's all there is. That's why it's plural, because the world's made of multiplicity. Hu ha'elokim. He's what's made, the world's made of. And then if that wasn't enough, that's enough. Put a period. No, it goes on and says, Ein od milvah. There is nothing else. Whatever you thought there was outside of that doesn't exist. There's only Hashem. So everyone take a deep breath again, looking around, no snap, you don't have to snap. Snapping is just a nice anchor. But it's all made of elokus. (laughs) 
And I'm telling you right now that you will go into such a state of well-being and peace if you keep this up. My career, my longevity of my career, 20, I'm 27 years doing this now, fresh is because of this, because of the number five. I'm just, I'm just riding the wave. I keep this one in mind a lot. So wherever I'll be, you know, I, I didn't know what was going to happen over Shabbos. It was an extremely successful Shabbos. Frank doesn't remember 200 people showing up for a class. And it was a three-hour workshop I did on Shabbos, and 200 people came to it. But I didn't know what it was going to be, and I didn't know what would happen in there exactly. And But I'm, I'm, with, I'm with the Elokus, so and that seems to always work out. And it really does. It always You notice, no matter what you've gone through, and all of us have been through something probably pretty heavy, in the end, here we are. We're on the other side with the lessons we learned. And yeah, sometimes God took a chunk out of us in the process. Some of us are missing people deeply and, and other painful moments. But here we are. And we're all just in this, we're all in this like, very long massage you know you ever been in a massage where they, like sometimes it felt like they were going a little too deep tissue made you a little sore for a while we're just in a long massage in the elokus and one day our souls will leave this outer crust and go back into the olam and the shumas, which most of you is there anyway think about it you're made of five parts you have, an, you have a yechida a chaya a neshama, a ruach, and a nefesh. And the only part of you that's actually conscious in this room in milk and honey right now isn't the nefesh. It's the outer membrane of the nefesh, meaning it's like the white of my fingernail. That's the part that's the USB cable interface. Meaning most of us are already in the olam of neshamas. There's only a little bit of us that's present down here. We're always there. We've been there the whole time. We just forget. <laughs> Because this world is quite thick, or it looks thick. It's not thick. So if we live our lives where 99% of us is anyway, meaning 99% of us are already in the soul world. So if we live our lives where our value systems aligned with the fact that we're already in the spiritual world. So then when that last percent kind of lifts its feet up from earth when we pass away, when that last percent of us rises... So then it's like death is a kiss. But for everyone who believes that this is like it's a one-to-one, like soul to body, and they, they think everything's down here, so death is, a, is like trying to pull, what was it? Uh, pull uh, hair, from hair from a... No, no. no. The opposite is pulling, it's like ripping, trying to pull something out of uh, thorns. I forget what it was. Uh, I think it was trying to pull cotton from thorns. I think that's what it is. I've, ha- I've been to- with people who had near-death experiences. And uh, uh, one who was living very spiritually 
and he was like, okay, let's go. Like, he was already gone, meaning flatlined. And, uh, but he was brought back with the PJCs, people jumper cables. Yeah, which, which they call defibrillators, but I, I call them PJCs. And, uh, and he was like, why'd you bring me back? And I was with another person who was like, total, like the biggest Olamazeh guy you've ever met. Like, everything's this world. Like, that's it. And uh, he said it was horrific. He said it was horrific and couldn't stop thanking us for bringing him back. And has remained petrified of death since then. I saw him recently and he just came to me and said, I'm petrified. And, but this one person who was a highly spiritual person was like almost angry. And he had a lot to live for, family, everything. He was like, it didn't seem to mean anything. It was like he just lifted his feet from the from the earth, and but we brought him back. Ladies, um, I bless you to carry this on. Let's just say the words together a bunch of times till they're memorized. Here we go: constant reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. Everybody, constant reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. On the paper, two more times, and then off the paper, four times. Constant reevaluation. Battleground, soul, God. Everybody, constant reevaluation. Battleground, soul, God. Now off the paper, four times. Constant reevaluation. Battleground, soul, God. Constant reevaluation. Battleground, soul, God. Constant reevaluation. Battleground, soul, God. Last time, constant reevaluation. Battleground, soul, God. Every moment's a chance to make a choice. You got to be able to reevaluate your life. You're going to have momentum and looking good as a pitfall. Number three is battleground. We're living in a battle. If you want to forget that, you're going to get killed. Reevaluate. Soul is you got to learn how to deal with the body so that you're always going to the soul. And God is that we're ultimately in the mind of God. Thank you very much. Brocha Natslocha. Only good things. Anyone wants to schmooze with my wife, she might share a bit over here. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.